The following talk was given by Bear Gokon Bonnebacher at Zen Mountain Monastery. Gokon is a senior monastic and dharma holder in the Mountains and Rivers Order. He serves as director of operations at Zen Mountain Monastery and also helps run the National Buddhist Prison Sangha. This talk, like all of our talks, is given free of charge. If you would like to make a donation or find out more about our various programs, visit us online at zmm.org. Thanks for listening. This is from Bodhidharma's Breakthrough Sermon. If someone is determined to reach enlightenment, what is the most essential method they can practice? The most essential method, which includes all other methods, is beholding the mind. But how can one method include all others? The mind is the root from which all things grow. If you can understand the mind, everything else is included. So this is the foundation of Zen practice, is Zen practice. Behold the mind, Bodhidharma says. This is what we're offered in Zazen. See everything that arises in the mind, thoughts, emotions, sensations. We have some instruction that helps us to work with our mind. We learn to work with what arises, how to meet it gently, to learn to let the thinking mind rest. Bodhidharma's instruction is very simple. Behold the mind. Behold the mind when it is distracted, caught up in thoughts, emotions, desires, aversions, likes and dislikes. Behold the mind when it is still and clear. He says the mind is the root from which all things grow, inviting us to see this for ourselves. This is what we're studying. He says this is the essential method, the most essential method. I've been reading an excellent book by a Tibetan teacher, Ponlap Rinpoche. He says, we will realize the nature of mind only when we have the courage and awareness to look directly at the present moment of our experience, whether it is a virtuous thought, a perception, or a negative disturbing emotion. It does not matter. The nature of mind is right here. The reason that we do not recognize it is not because it is not here, but because we are looking somewhere else. The wisdom that we're looking for, the freedom, the liberation that we seek is not to be found somewhere else. We will realize the nature of mind, find ordinary mind, naturally liberated mind, by looking directly at what is right in front of us. Whatever we find right in front of us. If we try to create some other state of mind, something to match our idea of what liberated mind must be like. If we look outside of our own mind to find peace, try to go somewhere else, we will not find it. Looking directly at mind. Sazen is most direct. Behold the mind. 
whatever we find there. Panlaprimpache says, on this path we discover the true nature of our mind and that which obstructs us from seeing our true nature. And so in beholding the mind, we see that. What we're looking for is always right here. And there's all that obstructs us from seeing it. What is the nature of that which seems to obstruct? How much of practice is seeing the obstruction? And getting to to know our, our mind, getting to know all these things that seem to get in the way. All that we get involved with, caught up in, attached to, our distraction, our stories, feeling the effect of our distraction, what we say to ourselves, the effect of that, about ourselves, about others, about our life. It's so important to see all of this, to see all that arises and seems to obstruct to skip over this ongoing part of our study. And I think particularly important to hear our stories, to hear what we say to ourselves about ourselves, to really listen for this. All of these things that we encounter in our mind, these mental objects, these appearances, and beholding the mind, We're studying these appearances, looking directly at them. What is their nature? Where do they come from? Where do they go? We study appearance, and we study emptiness at the same time. Panlop says, all things, as he puts it, all things are appearance, emptiness. Just a slightly different way of talking about that. And so as we practice letting go, practicing not getting involved, not fueling, not perpetuating, proliferating, not creating, can we see how we do all of these things? Can we see how we can choose not to let that creating, constant creating, come to rest? Put that down. so that we can allow ourselves to sink below the thinking mind, to experience the wholeness of self, which Yama Roshi talks about letting go and sitting down on the ground of reality. I always love that. I read more recently his, one of his students, Okamura Roshi, talks about finding the eternity, touching the eternity aspect of ourself. This is also beholding the mind. I was thinking about kind of the mystery of practice. How is it that touching this eternity aspect of ourselves is transformative? How is it that letting go is transformative? The mystery of letting go, how does that happen? 
you know, I was thinking, sort of reflecting recently about something that I've been working on and just seeing how, it, you know, it's like I've been working on it from all different angles, talking about it, talking about it in therapy, seeing it in my sitting, seeing it directly, looking at it directly, kind of seeing it in my Dharma study. What makes something fall away? What makes something pass? What happened? Where did it go? I was reading Bodhidharma, I was working on this talk, and um, found, again, this old Zen saying, which maybe originated with him. I hadn't seen it. I'd seen it in other teachers. He says, drinking, it's like drinking a glass of water and knowing for yourself whether it is hot or cold. You can't share this with anyone. You can't explain it to anyone. You can't explain it to yourself. Just knowing directly. We can't explain letting go. We can't explain concentration. And this mysterious process of how we grasp onto thought and make it into a thing that we can hold on to. It's kind of miraculous what we do with our mind, how we create a whole world, how we can immerse ourselves in that world. And apparently separate us ourselves from our present experience. We seem to still be here, but where are we? We're lost in thought. Sitting in stillness, in the stillness of your zazen, when you see that you're somewhere else, where, where are you? Where have you gone? When you come back, I think this is actually an important experience, important to see, to like see that that, what happens. And how often that happens. Where are we? Last week during Sishin, kind of with this thought and this talk in my, you know, in my mind, I was thinking about um, the movie A Beautiful Mind, which is from quite a while ago now, I think. It's a story of a brilliant mathematician. And you see him, you know, it starts when he's young. His brilliance is apparent when he's very young. You see him going to college, a roommate. He gets along with really well. He's very close with his roommate. Kind of dramatic scenes of him doing these long equations. And then the movie shows us that his roommate is not a real person. His roommate is imaginary, a hallucination. And so a lot of the story is him sort of becoming aware of his, that he has, that, he, that this happens in his mind. Um, that he has hallucinations, that aspects of his experience are not real. And at one point in his life, he takes um, some medication, which makes the hallucinations go away. It changes his mind. But the side effects are too much. He's, he's not him when he's on that medication. 
And so he trains himself. He learns his own mind. He talks about it as a diet of the mind. Knowing what is a hallucination, knowing what is not true, and choosing not to indulge, not to follow those thoughts that he knows aren't real, that he's learned aren't real. Later in his life, he's um, a professor, and um, the Nobel Prize Committee wants to give him a prize. And there's this great scene where um, this representative has come um, to kind of interview him and kind of check him out. Is this going to go okay? They know about his mental issues. Um, and there's this great scene where he's, he's standing at the door, room, door of his classroom. Students are coming in. And this person comes up and says, I'm from the Nobel Prize Committee. We'd like to award you the Nobel Prize. And he turns to one of his students and he says, do you see someone there? Is that real? But the part that was um, kind of getting to me at the end, towards the end, he's going to receive his Nobel Prize. And he's walking through the lobby of this hotel or whatever, wherever the ceremony is going to take place. He's old. He's aged. And walking slowly. And he looks up and across the lobby is his roommate, his imaginary friend, another imaginary friend with him, a little girl who was sort of part of his life. They haven't aged they're the same as they've always been. And from across the lobby, they smile, give him a little wave. And he just kind of pauses and then keeps walking. The diet of the mind. And these aspects of ourselves that we're so identified with, have such a relationship with, our opinions, our ideas about ourselves and about others, our fantasies, the ways that we define ourselves, regard ourselves, the thoughts that we turn to over and over, the worlds that we create in our mind. And these are our imaginary friends. And some of them are really old friends, very familiar. And they may have served a certain purpose for us, helped to soothe us, maybe helped us to escape discomfort. Some of our imaginary friends don't treat us very well. What purpose do they serve? With study, we may see that our imaginary friends, these old friends, don't serve us so well. and see that they're just creations of our mind. They're not true. Whatever comfort they give, even if that comfort is just from their familiarity, isn't lasting, isn't satisfying. And when we believe them, and believing them give them our attention, give them power, this is the looking in the wrong place our attachment, our investment, 
Our belief in them is obstruction, is the obstruction. Divides us, separates us. And so beholding the mind, practicing letting go, seeing that we can let go. Let these old friends pass by. We can begin to see for ourselves what happens then, how that can lead to a more true peace. How we need to let go of these old friends. Let them go back to where they came from. I felt like I was kind of looking at this in session, seeing again, not for the same first time, but maybe with some more clarity, the nature of these thoughts, how I can choose not to get involved, and how turning directly towards them, looking directly at them, can see through them. They dissolve. They're no longer what they seem to be. And there's some sort of, and there is, and I can see the liberation of that. And it's a little bittersweet. They wave and give me a little smile. We can always pick them up again. And each time that I see through them, the more clearly we see the less allure there is. The more I see a different way to rest my mind. I've also been thinking about the, more specifically Zen teachings and practices of being present in our simple, ordinary, everyday activity. Bringing awareness to this moment not unique to Zen. Buddha's original teachings encompassed all of our different aspects of our life, his teachings on mindfulness. Pondal Prinpache says, the basic experience of wisdom is always simple and is always with us. It can be found in every moment of our present experience. The reason that we fail to recognize it is that we are looking for something that is extraordinary. So how are we to look? I read an old Zen story recently about a a student who had just recently been approved by their teacher as to to teach in their own right. Had finished, been told that they had finished training, and they were going to visit a friend, another student. And it was a rainy night, so they had an umbrella some rain shoes. They were looking forward to seeing their friend. They came in, took off their wet things. And their friend greeted them, welcomed them, and then asked them, tell me, on which side of your shoes, to the left or to the right, did you put your umbrella? And they couldn't say. And so they stayed and studied with their friend for six more years, even though they had just been told they had finished training. Why why did he stay? So we're offered a lot of practices that are meant to help us be present. 
concentration practice that we do during Ango, of taking one simple thing and remembering to bring our awareness to that completely while we're doing it. Kinhin, walking meditation, caretaking, silent work we do each morning, service positions. Hold the bell like this. Straighten the cushions like this. Often in silence, the importance of the silence. Here at the monastery, silence in our lives so that we can see what's happening inside, so we can listen, make contact. You know, and I, th- I think I, I um, you know, just seeing, just, just in my own practice, um, seeing how often I'm distracted. Um, and, you know, I just was thinking, I, I worry a little bit that we don't, we don't sort of hear this instruction enough. I worry about the distraction of our culture that seeps in everywhere. You know, I think sometimes about the first, when I was first here at the monastery, before the internet, before cell phones, there were fewer people here. And just how quiet it was, how sort of solitary it was, how simple it was. And, you know, sort of the back in the good old days. And it's not like we can ever go back. But things have changed. Always listening to something, always turning to something, always more information. I see it, how it seeped into my life, how it seeps, I see it in others. So I wonder about that. Ponlap Rinpoche says, our experience remains primarily on the conceptual level because we're always lost in our thoughts. One moment thinking of how life was and the next about how it will be. Or we're thinking about what's happening right now, narrating our own life to to ourselves as it's happening, explaining it as it's happening. How does this affect our experience? I was struck by this simple line. Our experience remains on the conceptual level we may not really know that there's another way to experience our life except through our thoughts because we're so used to it. Everything is mediated and explained through our thoughts. We may not be able to see this. I think often we're not aware of it. And it's not that thinking is bad. We need our thoughts amazing mind that can do so much. Ponla Prempeche again, the basic experience of wisdom is always simple and is always with us. It can be found in every moment of our present experience. The reason that we fail to recognize it is that we are looking for something that is extraordinary. The teachings are constantly saying there's something else besides There's something else, something more. 
offering practices for us to see this for ourselves. What is this presence that the teachings are pointing to? What is it to be inside of our experience, to be inside of a moment? A moment of anything. What is it to rest in our present experience? I looked around a little bit. I wanted to find a Zen teaching that sort of spoke about this, like explained this. Dogen has teachings about all these different simple activities, washing our face, working in the kitchen, using the toilet. But he doesn't quite explain it. It is implied. He's holding it up for us so that we can know for ourselves. And being present is not good or bad. I think that we bring our judging mind. We are better people because we pay attention and are mindful. But we are more present. We are more inside of our life. We're not lesser people because we're distracted, but we're distracted. Recently, Shivan Roshi said something about being um, noticing. So when, when you come to the end of service and you've been chanting and, and your mind has also been thinking about something else, to notice that. We come to the end of acti- an activity and realize that we've been lost in thought to notice that. Because we can learn the difference for ourselves, learn for ourselves what it is to be present, to be inside, and know what it is to be distracted, how that feels, the effects of being distracted. I think it's hard to see, we miss that. But that helps us to learn that we can make a choice. I did a seminar at the temple recently, and someone was talking about kind of his relationship with his phone and just noticing that it's the first thing that he looks, as soon as he wakes up, he looks at his phone. And he kind of started off saying, you know, I know it doesn't make me feel good. I know how it feels after I've spent time on my phone. But he keeps picking it up, keeps looking at it, because it seems to feel good. It does feel good momentarily. There is an apparent comfort and aliveness. There is hope and expectation that it will feel good, that he'll get something. And he knows that it doesn't make him feel good. Why is that? We have to look very closely, really listen to our body-mind. What is distraction? What happens when we turn, even so slightly, away from our experience, out of our experience, out of right here? How do we live a complete life? So I'm going to end where I began. Bodhidharma, this breakthrough sermon. If someone is determined to reach enlightenment, what is the most essential method they can practice? 
the most essential method, which includes all other methods, is beholding the mind. But how can one method include all others? The mind is the root from which all things grow. If you can understand the mind, everything else is included. Thank you for listening. To find out more about ZMM's programs, retreats and residency, please visit us online at zmm.org.